Hi, Crime Sound listeners. We're your hosts, Ashley and Ricky, and we're here today with another true crime episode that we both researched, put together, and hosted just for you in the form of a crime salad. The information that we find is found mostly on the internet, researching court documents, articles, and local news. And just to keep you in the loop with a small change with this podcast, Crime Salad episodes will now be available to you every Thursday moving forward. Thanks for your love and support always. This story happened in a small town close to Ricky and I, a crime that shook the local community who hasn't seen a murder in over 40 years. This story is about a couple who lived in Grove City, Pennsylvania, just about an hour drive from Pittsburgh and close to the border of Ohio. Their names are Brandy Dunn, who is 22 years old, and Scott Dunn, who was 26 years old. The year was 2005 when they just got married. On the outside of their newly married relationship, things appeared to be somewhat normal. Brandy lived in Grove City her whole life. She was a 2002 graduate of Grove City High School and worked at the Springfield Grill in Mercer. She was raised on a quiet street at her parents' house. She is known to be very kind, loved her friends, and life. Brandy was in love. She would go on MySpace expressing her love for Scott, the days when MySpace was cool, and her family always assumed they were happy together, even though they tried to talk her out of marrying Scott. Brandy was sure she was making the right choice, so respecting her choice, they all accepted him into the family. But behind the scenes of the relationship, it seemed to show a different side of their story. Before their marriage, Scott, Brandy's husband, was arrested several times for burglary in the year of 1999, and in 2003, he was arrested for drug paraphernalia. And then, around the time the two got married, all that was on Scott's mind was cocaine. Brandy's father, John, gives the two $22,000 for a down payment on a house after their wedding, but in nearly two months... Scott had already blew through most of the money. In a number of articles, we came across a close friend of the couple who knew both of them pretty well. He explained that Scott was heavy into cocaine, which turned into an expensive habit, sometimes costing him close to $800 a week. This friend was actually more of a friend to Brandy, being that they grew up together as neighbors, than he was to Scott. This friend's name is Chris, and it never really seemed to bother Scott that the two were close friends until one day, Scott found a condom wrapper in their home, which he then became immediately suspicious of Chris and Brandy's relationship. Scott immediately thought of Chris because the amount of time the two spent together, and he knew they had slept in the same bed in the past, but at the time he didn't think too much about it, even though Scott was sure the condom belonged to them. Chris and Brandy denied anything ever happening, but Scott wasn't believing it. Scott was quite noticeably aggressive. In questioning with Brandy's parents, they noticed Brandy would sometimes have bruises on her body, but Brandy never came forward. 
and would often just cover it up by saying she fell or bumped into something. It's easy for us to say as outsiders, well, well, why wouldn't you just tell somebody if she was getting abused? And obviously, Ricky and I aren't experts, but imagine everything that comes with the physical abuse. Not only was Brandy probably terrified to leave, but they were only six months into their new marriage. I'm sure Brandy just kind of saw this as a bad stage in their marriage and thought things would get better. She probably thought each time he got violent, this would be the last time. Scott would eventually get clean and they could put everything behind them. And we know from her family that Brandy was a very caring person. Maybe she thought she could fix him. Often victims are mentally strung along by their abusers, being brainwashed and manipulated. After every violent fight, Scott could have been telling her a sob story about how he would like to change, and his actions are being brought on by his addiction and not him, promising over and over that things will get better. So I think it's really easy to be naive and think that something like this could never happen to you. And to be honest, I'm not even sure if you can actually see something like this coming. But I think the best thing that you can actually do is just be conscious of what's best for you and, you know, keeping yourself safe. No one deserves to be abused. And I think it's important to remember that you always have a choice and you always have options. So if you're ever in an abusive situation, you have to tell someone, tell a family member or contact a domestic abuse hotline. Seriously, you're never alone in what you're dealing with. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Because in most cases, I think these victims don't really think they can tell anyone or even know what to do about it. So I think being able to even just reach out to a hotline can help them feel supported and they can even lead you into the right direction. Whether or not this was the case, the couple's friend Chris also brought up that Scott threatened him after accusing him of having an affair with Brandy by telling him that he thought about getting a baseball bat to break his legs. Although this was just a threat, after this, Brandy and Scott's relationship was beginning to crumble, as the two were now sleeping in separate rooms. Which, I mean, no relationship is perfect, arguments happen, but what wasn't known at the time is that these were all red flags that were hidden in plain sight. This all happened in December, and it really started a battle between Brandy and Scott's relationship. I'd like to point out here that there was no proof that the two had an affair. And I read in an article that Brandy actually reached out to a friend who the condom actually belonged to and kind of convinced her to reach out to Scott and explain the situation. But I don't think Scott really ever believed her, or at least held that grudge, especially now that they're sleeping in different rooms. But I think the threat that he made to the friend, you know, actually starts to show the true colors of Scott and, you know, shows his aggression. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty intense threat. So during the winter months when Brandy's parents traveled to Southern California for the winter, they asked Brandy and her husband Scott to house sit for them while they were gone. So they brought their two dogs along and they made themselves at home. This was actually the very first time that Brandy's parents asked them to do anything like this. Brandy and Scott were willing to live there while they were gone, mainly because where they lived wasn't as nice and it wasn't very warm in the winter, being that the cold winter air seeped through their trailer's walls. 
So I think it was a pretty easy choice. Either spend the winter in Brandy's parents' nice house or spend the winter in their small trailer. But on January 14th, 2006, Brandy's father, John, while in California, received an unexpected phone call from Brandy's husband, Scott, around 4 a.m. California time, so early in the morning. When he answered the phone, he heard Scott yelling, You gotta come home. You gotta come home. Your house is on fire. The first thing that John asked was, where was his daughter? Scott told him that she was still in the house along with another man who was violently beating her. And at this point, John must have been completely in shock and in a panic. He asked, why aren't you in there helping her? But Scott insisted that he couldn't go in because the flames were too hot. This was the first of many claims that Scott would make while being questioned. So what actually happened that morning? And why was he going to leave Brandy in the house as it was on fire, knowing that she was in there? Well, Scott told the police that he left his wife at home after he picked her up at a party, and he went to Slippery Rock, which was a town nearby. He said that his truck had broke down, and he had to walk back to the house. And when he walked into the house, that's when he saw a blonde-haired man beating Brandy. He told police that he managed to chase him out of the house, but after barely making it out of the doorway, the house just burst into flames. He then continues telling his story by telling police that they need to be on the lookout for a blonde-haired man wearing a red flannel shirt, telling him that he's a murderer and that he's on the loose and that they need to find him immediately. Police originally followed up on this report and began searching the area for a man who met this description, and they were able to locate a local man meeting the description given by Scott, but he was quickly released and rolled out as a suspect shortly later. Scott called 911 around 7.30am that morning to report the fire and that his wife was still inside. And after about an hour after the call was made, the police find the body of Brandy laying on the ground next to a gas can. Her body was found after firefighters rushed into the house while it was still on fire, hoping that they could still save her. But when they found her, she was already dead. This is so frustrating. Like, if your wife is inside the house, wouldn't you at least attempt to get her out of the house? I know, right? We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime salad. I mean, I guess we don't know for sure if he tried, but it just seems weird that he was so quick to call her father and he was all the way in California. Yeah, like what help could he have been? 
Not to mention, he said he was in the house before it caught fire. So he would know exactly where Brandy was. Like, how did he not go back in the house to at least try to pull her out? There were no reports of, like, smoke inhalation or anything. Like, he didn't have burns or any type of injuries. So did he even try to go back in? To me, that's a red flag. I mean, if our house was on fire, like, I would go back in for the dogs, let alone you, you know? Aw, you really do that for me? Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Good answer. And not to mention... What if he just saw some random guy earlier in the morning and gave his description to the police? And this quickly led to a very detailed investigation which took weeks picking through the burned items that the fire left behind to see if they can find any evidence that could explain how this happened. Scott said it was an intruder, but what they find seems to lead them to a savage murder following the house being set on fire in three different places. So whoever did this planned to destroy everything. It was estimated about $320,000 in damages were left behind from the fire. The house and everything in it was pretty much completely destroyed, along with two of her dogs that were also killed in the fire. Brandy's parents came back home to Pennsylvania with everything taken away from them. Once the autopsy was revealed, it ruled this case as a homicide, being that Brandy was gruesomely beaten to death from a hammer shattering her skull. Before her body, her bed, and wedding gifts her and Scott received were doused with gasoline. So next on the list was to find out who did this, and after taking a step back and looking deeper into this case, Scott's story wasn't adding up about how a mysterious man broke into the house and attacked Brandy. With the angry hits to the head, this showed investigators that this just wasn't any attack, but a very angry attack, a personal attack. This led police to their main suspect as Brandy's husband, Scott. Scott's story always seemed to be changing, or he wouldn't have a clear answer to where he was or what actually happened. And to add to the story, the couple's friend Chris had a few things to say to the police as well in an effort to help with the case because Brandy was his good friend. He told police the night before the morning of the incident, Chris explained he got a phone call from Brandy around 4am looking for Scott. He told Brandy that Scott wasn't with him, but Brandy thought he was just trying to cover up for him. I'm assuming things were a little bit heated because she called him back around 5.30am to apologize for not believing him. After the second call, Chris decided to go see Brandy and caught a ride from his cousins to her house. And we're not sure if Brandy invited him or what, but when he got to the house, according to the article that we were reading... The keys were still in the front door, and when he went inside, Brandy was asleep. We weren't able to find much more information about what Chris explained here, but could Scott have been upset that Chris was there? I definitely think it's possible, you know, being that Scott was jealous of the two in the past, but we really don't know. So shortly after this, Scott was arrested for murdering his wife, but while in court, he continued claiming that he was innocent. 
His attorney explained how there was no physical evidence to link him to the case and, you know, nothing was recovered from the crime scene or anything that actually linked him to setting the house on fire. However, according to Pennsylvania court, there was enough circumstantial evidence for a conviction. And while in court, the couple's friend Chris testified against Scott, helping to prove his involvement. Scott was originally charged with first and third degree murder, voluntary manslaughter, abuse of a corpse, and three counts of arson. And he planned to plead not guilty. However, a few months before the trial, the judge agreed to reduce the primary crime to involuntary manslaughter in exchange for a guilty plea from Scott. So, along with Scott's confession, he explained that this all started from an argument around 7 a.m. at Brandy's parents' house. It was about cocaine and alcohol. Eventually, this verbal argument turned physical, where Scott says that Brandy started punching and hitting him, and he just snapped, taking all of his anger out on her and striking Brandy in the head with a hammer. And before he realized what happened, it was too late, and Brandy was laying in a pool of her own blood. Scott confessed that he didn't know what to do, so he set the house on fire with the gasoline that he found in the shed. This was all explained in court as kind of a crime of passion. Although, this wasn't an easy decision for the judge, but Brandy's father, John, urged the judge to make this decision in order to speed up the whole process. See, John was 70 years old, and he had cancer, and he just couldn't take the stress of the whole trial. In his eyes, he just wanted to put him behind bars and never think of him again. So, with Scott's guilty plea, he'll be eligible for parole in 23 years. So, this puts him in his early 50s. And to me, this just isn't enough time for the crime that he committed. I mean, I understand where Brandy's father is coming from. I mean, the whole trial could have taken a really long time and just been an incredible mess. So, during the trial, Scott, who could have been having his first sober thought in a really long time began apologizing to Brandy's family, telling them that he was sorry for all the pain that he's put them through. And he told them that he came from a good, loving family, but cocaine really took over his life, and he let everyone down. And even though he did initially blame cocaine, he said that he did blame himself for his actions too. He went on saying that he wasn't a man when this all happened, but he's trying to be one now by taking responsibility. He told the family that he could never take back what he did, and that Brandy was an amazing person. But Scott's words meant very little to Brandy's family. And after the trial, Brandy's aunt said that Scott robbed this family of a kind woman who lit up every room that she walked into with a radiant smile. She also said that he insulted Brandy's family with his make-believe tears and his cowardly story about an intruder, and she hoped this was the last time the family would ever hear the name Scott Dunn again. According to CDC.gov, domestic violence happens more than you think. It may even be happening to someone you know. Nearly one in four women and one in seven men have experienced severe physical violence by their partner during their lifetime. If you ever feel like you're in danger and you need help, 
call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or go to their website at thehotline.org and hit chat now to enter a private chat room with a representative. Just know that you're not alone and you do have options. After Brandy's murder, local organizations came together to create the Brandy Montgomery House, which was dedicated by an agency called AWARE, Mercer County's Agency for Domestic Violence and Sexual Abuse, and the Center Presbyterian Church. The house is named after Brandy Montgomery, Montgomery being her maiden name, who was beaten to death by her own husband. The house comfortably sleeps nine people, any who are victims of abuse and need a safe place to stay. This concludes this week's episode. As always, you can find pictures of what we came across on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com. You're also invited to join us on our Crime Salad Facebook discussion group, where you can post links to cases you think are interesting or share anything crime-related and meet other true crime salad investigators just like yourself and feel free to bring a friend. If you would like to help support Crime Salad, write us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to us now to help other listeners find us. Remember to follow us on Instagram and be sure to tell a friend about Crime Salad Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crime. Crime Salad is a weird salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain. All the blood, blood, all the pain.